Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. The Belko Experiment Peer Review. <laughs> Hello everyone, and welcome to this episode of Horror Vanguard, which is your current episode of Horror Vanguard. I am Horror Vanguard, joined as always by Horror Vanguard. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that was that was a deeply normal introduction. Um, it's uh, it's great to, great to be back. Great to be doing another episode, uh, sponsored by uh, sponsored by a great corporation for the first time. <laughs> Yes, it was, re- it was really nice of the people at Belco to reach out to us and offer us this wonderful, wonderful support package, a company car, an apartment. Really, we couldn't be happier. Yeah, I mean, I've never been happier since relocating to uh, Bogota. Uh, my commute is much better. Uh, and uh, they haven't yet implanted anything in my skull. <laughs> so I I think things are going great. Right. All in all, it's a win. I I for one am really excited to get my Elon Musk playing Tetris brain chip or whatever. I I value oh, a value fantastic. add yeah. for me. In fact, when they offered that, I was like, you know what? Go ahead and pay me less. <laughs> uh before we get into uh, more details about the generous corporate package that we've both been <laughs> uh, recipients of, quickly, a word from our sponsors. This program is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Go to patreon.com slash horrorvanguard and get access to bonus episodes and other exclusive content. Thank you for listening and stay spooky. It's not wolves. It's wolf. 20,000 years Ten times your fucking questionnaire. And yes, that was our other sponsor, who is not Belco. <laughs> and we're 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 uh, we're changing it up. We're changing it up today. It's uh, a little bit a little bit something different, a little bit something special. Uh, because the one, the only, the lit crit guy happened to make a YouTube video about the very film we're discussing today. Uh, yes, I have a YouTube channel. Please come subscribe. The video that we're talking about is going to be in the description. I made a YouTube cha- uh, video about how work is uh, bad and, um, and, and, and not good for any of us and how horror helps us explore all of that, including, and it includes the film that we're going to be talking about today. But by way of praising, first, this brief message. Only a return to explicitly utopian thinking can clarify the minimal conditions for the preservation of human solidarity in face of convergent planetary crises. I think I understand what the Italian Marxist architects Tafuri and Dalco meant when they cautioned against a regression to the utopian. But to raise our imaginations to the challenge of the Anthropocene, we we must be able to envision alternative configurations of agents, practices, and social relations. And this requires, in turn, that we suspend the politico-economic assumptions that chain us to the present. This sounds like a sentimental call to the barricades, an echo from the classrooms and streets, studios 40 years ago, and so be it. 
because on the basis of the evidence before us, taking a realist view of the human prospect, like seeing Medusa's head, would simply turn us into stone. And we're back. We are talking about the Belko experiment uh, from 2016. It is it is both an excellent and effective horror movie, and also a very clear and uh, to the point documentary about the effects of neoliberal uh, managerial politics upon literally the bodies and subjects of 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 you know the working classes. So before we start on 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 the discourse, it is time for our section. Formalist for talking about films. <laughs> yes, I I uh, am really what, excited. What do you? I'm think, really Ash? excited to start talking about uh, what if they uh, did the Stanford Prison Experiment, but made it like kind of funny because James Gunn wrote it. <laughs> uh, yeah, where do you want to start? If we talk, if we're talking, if we if we're formalist, formalistly for talking. Where would you like to um, begin? I, I'm, I'm going to start my formalism with our frighter, <laughs> James Gunn. Um, there's not enough words that start with F, um, I feel. I feel all of a sudden like I've got like a Scrabble board with all Fs and I have no idea what to say anymore. Um, but no, so J- <laughs> James Gunn wrote the Belko experiment and then he was going to direct it, but then he was going through some personal troubles at the time and he didn't want to do a movie that was so violent. So he, he kind of let go of the script. Um, it was it was later picked up by other people and they ran with it, to which James Gunn was very pleased that somebody finished the movie um, that he had started working on. Um, and this, this is like, despite the fact that he didn't wind up directing it, and you can feel his absence behind behind the camera. It's, it's definitely noticeable. Um, but this is 100% a James Gunn script. Oh, yeah, completely. It's, it is surprisingly funny, actually. Um... I even like I even like the small cameo part he gave to his brother, uh, Sean Gunn, who I normally find completely insufferable. Well, that's good. <laughs> I, th- I thought the <laughs> casting on this one was really really strong. I think every everybody was in a great a great role for the characters that they can do. Like it was like this movie is just incredibly solid all the way around. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're really like. Mm, there's there's not really that many special effects that bothered me like in terms of like how they look there's really almost nothing like this movie is just incredibly solid through and through um and it's i'm trying to look up who who directed it it's greg Mm -hmm. mclean who directed it um who has kind of like been incredibly hit or miss because directed uh wolf creek which is a kind of notoriously nasty australian uh yeah i was gonna say you you don't like wolf Um, wolf wolf creek or rogue or jungle uh i didn't i i i didn't say that i thought wolf creek was bad (laughs) it is it is horribly effective at what it does um but this is like this is this is the kind of best thing he's done which is not that or not in the kind of wolf creek milieu yeah, I think I definitely think that this would probably be my favorite film by him. Out of, out of like, I, I definitely mm-hmm. haven't seen every single thing in the McLean filmography, but um, this this does stand up. It's definitely better than Wolf Creek. <laughs> uh, 
Tony Goldwyn's in it. He's excellent. Uh, John Gallagher Jr., also excellent. Uh, Dr. Cox from Scrubs, also excellent. He's so good um, at being the snide manager. Oh, just just an awful, uh, irredeemable well, piece so of shit. Is <laughs> John McGinley's I, character. I think we should we should talk about that for a second because like what I find really interesting is that he literally just is Dr. Cox in this movie. Except for like Yeah, uh, yeah inst- like instead of presenting Dr. Cox's constant sexism and abusiveness as funny and endearing, it's presented as being what it is, which is absolutely fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's he's um he deserves he, he should not be working there. He's just a complete danger. To, to any of his co-workers and the people that he is ostensibly in charge of um and as soon as as soon as the the situation starts he's immediately one of the first ones to uh crack and start looking for guns so he can murder people um and, and the thing not not a good person yeah. so is there anything that you wanted to talk about uh in, in regard to james J- james gunn you see what's what's nice about this film is like the setup is incredibly simple, which is the American office crossed with Battle Royale. Um, that's 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 the setup. And actually the humor and and spacing, the time that the film is given to breathe at the at the opening actually helps the whole thing, you know, sell itself to the audience. You know, people don't start immediately having their heads blown up or you know the violence when it first begins is very sporadic and is is very shocking and um i think that that helps the whole thing come together that helps the whole thing coalesce into something convincing right pacing as far as like james gunn goes i think this this is like an interesting entry into the james james gunn has one of the most interesting like filmographies you know mm. cuz he he's he starts in the 90s with like um Police Sergeant Samurai Kabuki Man and like uh, uh, Tromeo. I think he did Tromeo and Juliet too, or he he did something on. He did work for and Troma. also Terra Firmer. Like he he did is like a lot of trauma trauma stuff. Um, and then like uh, uh fucking Scooby Doo Monsters Unleashed. <laughs> so yeah, like James Gunn all over the place, and then like. You know, he gets movie movie uh forty three or part of it. Um and then the Guardians of the Galaxies movies, and then Suicide Squad, and then he wrote the new Guardians that's coming out, and so like so he's kind of he's kind of gone from like indie or indie adjacent, depending on how you want to talk about trauma. I think indie is very safe for them. Um like and making making Tromeo and Juliet, <laughs> which if you've never seen Tromeo and Juliet <laughs> saying the guy who made Tromeo and Juliet is now making triple uh, A comic book movies is the exact same as saying the guy who made bad taste went on to make the Lord of the Rings films, right? Like these are guys who cut yes. their teeth yeah, on yeah. like splatter and like Gorno and just gross out low budget movies getting, getting later tapped by studios for like flagship films. Well, like I think the thing, the thing that, gun is clearly able to do is do um he can write jokes he can write pacing and he is clearly like very interested in like splat stick mm-hmm. 
And what's interesting about Belko is because it was given to the guy who did Wolf Creek, there is a, there is in places a, a much kind of a bleaker and much darker kind of streak of nihilism I, in this film than, the, than there would be if Gunn had directed I, it. I, I kept think. thinking about that. And that initial sequence where, the, where they're, the, the bombs in their heads start exploding. <clears throat> right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so a, quick, a quick setup, if you've never seen the Belko experiment, um, uh, Belko is a nonprofit that helps uh, Americans find work for American companies overseas um, Belko itself is uh, staffed by Americans who are working overseas. Um, the like they all go to work one day, and there's a bunch of mysterious foot soldiers around the complex, and then steel shutters fall down around the entire building, and a voice gets over the PA and uh, effectively says, uh, "Everybody, kill each other, or your heads start exploding." Uh, people at first refuse. Yes, that's that's yeah, the and premise. Their heads start exploding. And I, and during those head exploding things, like it was, it was honestly, I think it hit a lot harder than maybe McLean or, or Gunn intended at the time. But like now in 2021, yeah. like you know, like like one of the characters shouts like like somebody's shooting, and then like everybody panics and runs around, and people are just getting you know shot apparently at that moment, left and right. It's like very intense. But I kept imagining yeah, yeah, yeah. the James Gunn directorial version of that. Where like like people are getting covered by goo and like like people are slipping in brains and like some somebody tries to escape but they get like impaled on a turnstile and then twisted around like the like Charlie Chaplin in modern times or something. Yeah, the the Benny Hill yeah. theme is playing as people start, as people are running away in the lobby. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was imagining that exact sequence, but you could do it incredibly goofy in an incredible like a very splatter attitude. But this is like very flat, very real, very direct. It, it, there are some a lot, some of the silliness shines through, um, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting. There's there's that interesting. It's a good tension between McLean as a director and Gunn as the writer. Yeah, I because I actually think the fact that we go from like very low stakes kind of humanizing banter in the first half an hour where we set everything up to our initial crisis and then to the violence, which is, 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 as you say, very flat affect, very, very kind of brutal, uh, and not at all fun is, is a really compelling shift. And this was something critics kind of picked up on at the time when it came out and said, maybe that's what makes the film unsuccessful. But I actually think it's, it's a sign of a creative team trying to take the premise seriously and I think it works really well. Like that, be- I hated the beginning section because I've lived the beginning section. I- yeah, exactly. You were yeah. supposed to. If, you're supp- if you've ever had a terrible it's every office job, shitty office yeah, you were just going to cringe your way through the first like ten minutes of this movie because it's just that like it's all of the terrible inter-office personality politics stuff that just make you want to start pulling your teeth. Yeah. 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 So how do you yeah. how do you how do you feel about neoliberalism, John? I, I feel I feel like it's time to move to move on and ask you a very normal <laughs> well, welcome, question. Welcome, welcome, welcome to neoliberalism time, <laughs> baby. Uh, this, I mean, like, so let's 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 be clear about the film. It is very deliberately making some choices, which bizarrely, a lot of critics don't seem to really be paying attention to. They tended to focus on the kind of internal dynamic of violence in an office place but they kind of ignore a lot of the ending a lot of the instructions that are given out 
and the fact that the film is deliberately set where it's set. It's set in, in Bogota, in Colombia. Uh, and in, in our notes, I've just put, ah, oh, it's set in Latin America, uh, and we have the exercise of various managerial techniques to refine a subject under capitalism. The whole point is everyone in the office needs to kill one another, and our survivor is the kind of new perfect capitalist subject that we're going to send off to climb the corporate ladder. And it's like, so this is set in Colombia mostly because setting it in in Chile would be too obvious, <laughs> yeah. I guess. I'm yeah. I I'm willing to bet that the 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 voice over who uh, appears over the tannoy did their economics degree at the University of Chicago in the 1970s. That's that's all I'm gonna yeah, say. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just gonna say that uh, perhaps uh, people uh, higher up in Belco were fixing bread prices right before this happened. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I, I think that's. I, oh, go I on. think we should. I think we should dig into. I think we should dig into the 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 setting a little bit more because, I mean, this obviously ties into discourses of American colonialism, uh, the long history of America just straight up doing coup shit across South America. Um, wh- wh- what do you I think? Mean, what do you l- think about literally? The fact that yes, in Colombia. Yes, you hit the nail on the head there. Like. So, so one thing about the Belco experiment that gets kind of, I think we should focus on because maybe other people didn't focus on this so much is that like, is the, is the setting, right? Is how important to the setting is, right? Because it's very easy to get to, uh, not be able to see the forest for the trees here. You know, like the Belco building is in the middle of Columbia, you know, and you can't just murder an entire building full of people and hire a secret goon squad without like doing coup shit. You know, <laughs> right. like, so there, there's this, there, there's this unacknowledged silent pretext in the world of the Belco experiment that like the local government is either completely controlled or completely bought by whoever's pulling the Belco strings here, whoever is behind stage one of the experiment. Right. You know, the voice over the intercom and whoever they work for, right? The, the, these mysterious governmental or corporate entities. Like, in order, in order to have the infrastructure that is Belco, you, you necessarily have to have immense power. And in order for an American organization, uh, or an ostensibly American organization in any event, I guess we never really learn who controls things at the top, but like... In order to pull off the Belco experiment, you have to like own the local government. And like we find out that like the fire department won't come, the police won't come, like like the the entire like local scene has turned a blind eye to what happens at Belco. And and it one hundred percent has like the the same kind of like uh, evil evil corporate shenanigans as like Coca-Cola employees who are protesting mysteriously showing up dead. You know, it's it's that same kind of corporate, yeah. You know, m- yeah. murdering murdering trade unionists uh, across the global south. Um, but I think the important thing to flag up is that there is no kind of contradiction. These these are two sides yes. of the same coin, right? This this idea of um, what we might call supranational capital, right? Because Belco is uh, extraordinarily rich, and it's not even a. a I think I don't know if it's even accurate to call it an American corporation because it's kind of like it transcends the idea of a specific true, nation true, true. state, right? It's 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 global, and having that backed up with 
lots of easily bought soldiers with guns. That's that, that, that's what neoliberalism looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, co- colonialism is is not a historical thing, but it is an active and ongoing process designed to secure the interests of global capital forces. I I think that's that's completely accurate. But let's talk about what they're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 we've talked about Belco a little bit. Now let's talk about the experiment that they're trying to conduct. Um, and what I wanted to to kind of flag up is that there's a there there is a long history uh, of if you read, <coughs> sorry, um, Gavin Muller has this excellent book called Breaking Things at Work: Why the Luddites Were Right About Why You Hate Your Job. Um talking about kind of the history of, of technologies of management. Uh, he mentions uh, Taylorism, which was brought in in the States in the early 1900s as a way of essentially de-skilling the working classes, right? So what you do is you reduce every complex or skilled activity down to the broadest number of possible simple steps. That way you can kind of fine-tune efficiency it's the same kind of production process that McDonald's works mm-hmm. on, right? So you don't have one person to make a burger. You have one person to, like, slice gherkins or make burger sauce. Um, and, you know, there's a long history of, of working class people rebelling against this kind of managerial technique. Um, but it's all designed to... It feeds into a long tradition of kind of, like, how do you shape working people into the kind of subjects that you want to have you know we could talk here about um things like walter lippman's book public opinion we could talk about the influence that that had on um noam chomsky and edward herman's book manufacturing consent uh so so like we think we think of neoliberalism as a kind of very contemporary invention that just popped into existence in 1976 but it's actually this long uh, kind of culmination of an attempt to create an, an ideal environment for the security of corporate power. What do you, what do you, what what do you think about about the experiment side of things that Belco are doing? Well, I, I think it's really important to highlight what you're highlighting here, right? Because ne- neoliberalism is on those list of fun words that gets bandied about a lot online. Um, yeah, there's a history. Yes. There's a history that we can't it, it has a history. It's a specific term that has specific usages. It's not just kind of everything bad, um, mm-hmm. which I think is is worth discussing, especially in the context of this movie, right? Because the experiment, like, throughout the experiment, like, our, our unwitting participants are, like, routinely told that it really doesn't matter what they do, that the data that's gathered from them will, will, will be useful no matter what happens, like but that's yes that is is deeply deeply interesting when we find out at the end of the movie that that's expressly not true because the same outcome was reached building after building across the planet you know like this that that statement is exists to orchestrate a very specific goal and one of the things that i find so interesting and you touched on this just a moment ago is that who wins in our slice of the belco experiment the the fresh-faced mid-level manager Who's trying to calm everybody? You know, trying to calm everybody down, trying to gather everybody together. Right? He's he's very managerial in his presence. He's got that new management style where you don't quite hate him, and they directly contrast him 
with Dr. Cox, who's who's maybe now a bit of a figure of the older style of management, right? Where he's like, he's sexist, he's crass. He's like, he he, he talks like he's doing a, uh, like some kind of like corporate, like pep rally thing. Well, actually, I think things are a little bleaker Ooh, than that. Fun. Because, um, so our, protag- our protagonist is, is a guy called Mike, who is, as you say, a kind of mid-level guy, just sort of like, it seems like a he, he gets on with everybody. That's that's his thing. But actually, I I don't necessarily think of him as a managerial type. I think of him as a kind of not even not even quite there yet, but a proto organizer. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the one who pushes back on his bosses. He's the one who's trying to gather everybody together. He's the one who expressly says he's not going to entertain killing other people. And then when we contrast who he is at the start with who he is and what he's been willing to do at the end, he's become the perfect neoliberal subject, right? And if the experiment has been replicated, you know, ad infinitum, it's, it's a way of integrating any kind of possible resistance into it, into a kind of seamless hegemony and making people who maybe thought of themselves as, removed or, or even kind of resistant to the to, to corporate violence an integral part of that corporate violence i i think you're right and i think this is incredibly important especially in the context of manufacturing consent you know like like Chomps, chomsky's book that mm, was uh, yeah, chomsky right. and herman's book arguably written more by herman than chomsky which was kind of his rebuttal addendum follow-up to public opinion um yeah and in in manufacturing consent like it's it's i think it's a really good book um you know, like the spark notes is fine, but like, don't necessarily need to read all 7,000 <laughs> yeah, yeah, pages be unless you're very interested in like the periods politics, but like, um, part of, part of what's lined out there is lined out in that book is that a lot of the people who do this man, like what, what is manufacturing consent? Manufacturing consent is getting everybody to agree with the status quo, right? Uh, uh, traditional and more crass versions of propaganda beat it into you. Think of like a large, a large Soviet yeah. poster with a bunch of pretty attractive people. And it says like, like, uh, uh, I don't know, like every worker does their job or something like, I don't know. That's like a super crass, terrible example that would show up in like an American spy movie. But like, um, that's like old school propaganda. But the new manufacturing consent, people, people do it without even noticing it. People self-censor. People elect yeah, to manufacture their own consent now. Um you know, like there's there's no government body forcing a lot of this. There, there's no there's no heavy handed pressure by the state, right? It's internally manufactured, um, and that's kind of a lot of the process that we see happening to Mike throughout this. Is like he 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 lacks the tools, and we'll get into that. He, but he lacks the tools to effectively resist what's going on. You know, and mm-hmm. part of the problem is like we're already in a situation wherein they can't resist what's going on. You know, like it's mm-hmm. by the time the Belko experiment film starts, it's literally too late for everyone. There's nothing that they could oh, do. Oh yeah, which is which is what which is what Mike admits. He says, "You really think they're going to let any of us mm-hmm. out of here after they've just after they've just blown up somebody's yeah. head?" Uh, but what is it? What is it? The voice says uh, right at the end. He says, "Science is mm-hmm. method." You know, it's it's. Because this is that's the kind of horrifying thing about this manufactured consent, right? It's not personal. You know, it's it's we're just we're just trying to find we're just gathering data, and all of that data will then be fed back into 
presumably the next round of the experiment. Yes. You know, science is method. It's method. It's impersonal. It's non. It's it's even non ideological. Oh yeah, we're just. It's just about methods. It's just about refining our method of of management. This this is just engineering. This is just research. There there there's no ethical question here. Yep. We're just no, blowing people's absolutely. heads up, and like, th- I just wanted to touch on this really quickly. But this is like just so good at at nailing contemporary transhumanism. Like old school transhumanism is like everybody gets a robot body so humanity can live in perfection in the stars or whatever. And new transhumanism is like all of our heads get blown up so that Elon Musk figures out how the chip works. So he alone can live in space as some kind of demigod. And like, well, yeah, go on. Well, this is, this is, this is what the ultra rich (laughs) wants. You know, you put this, you put that, that great article in the, um, in our, in our shared, uh, uh, yes, this nice. is uh, this came out in 2018, um, <clears throat> and it's by Douglas Rushkoff. It's how tech's richest plan to save themselves after the apocalypse. So um, Douglas Rushkoff is a philosophy uh, professor and a media theorist. It works mostly on questions of technology, and this was a really famous article. It was um, he talks about being invited to this kind of super elite private resort to give a speech in front of millionaires and billionaires and uh they uh the the question that really they want to know is I'll, I'll quote from the article finally the ceo of a brokerage house explained that he had nearly completed building his own underground bunker system and asked how do i maintain authority over my security force after the the event in cap- capitalized the euphemism for environmental law, social collapse, nuclear apocalypse, that kind of thing. Uh, and so that the, the hyper-rich are already discussing the possibility of shock collars, uh, neural implants to condition behavior, making uh, people who are employees dependent upon certain drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, this is already yeah, happening. literally. <laughs> like, like, and, like, the machinations for this are already underway like like infamously a few years ago there was the leak about the amazon patent for a cage that you stay in while you work you know like like amazon has already rigged up a social system such that you have to take a piss in a bottle otherwise you're you're fined you know otherwise you you could be fired and like the ai is already detecting suboptimal performance right this might not appear in a modality so crass and obvious as a bomb implanted in the base of your neck Right, the the machinations that lead to to a Belko style existence are already well underway, and they, I mean, like as history as history has shown us over and over again, like the militarization of police didn't look like RoboCop, you know, like it it just looked like the cops with like loads of military gear, and now today we kind of have robot dogs, and and again and again, Amazon and all of these people would say it's not ideological, you know, Amazon's system is scientifically designed to produce the greatest possible efficiency for the consumer. And you, and don't you, you benefit mm-hmm. from that. So, so, so on what grounds could you object? Because they're backed up by research. Science is method and that's it. You know, they, they are simply refining their methodologies of extracting the greatest number of efficiencies out of the human flesh subject. And if and I mean, come on, Amazon, Amazon now even are directly linked with education across huge swathes of America, and I, I probably further. Uh, yes, 
Yes, you like know, it is Amazon's stated and express goal to transform the entire educational apparatus of this country into an Amazon work training program. Yeah, of course. Why? Because that will be efficient. So it's this the thing that the thing that is kind of like, you know, maybe would be undercut or kind of leavened, lightened up a little bit by some of that James Gunn kind of splatter goofiness is the fact that this is kind of really chilling. And yes, the the hyper violence and the, the the there are some kills which are pretty intense, um, are really just a kind of literalization of the ways in which this dispassionate, rationalized managerialism, this this technology of control, exerts a physical toll upon people's bodies. That's all it is. So. That, I think this begs a question, right? Because we've outlined that these machinations are kind of already underway in the world that we live in, even if they might not necessarily appear as over-the-top and goofy as they do here in the Belko experiment and other kind of dystopian cinema. Uh, how, how stop? <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about the IWW. <laughs> yes, there is one way to stop this madness, and that is uh, a union. <laughs> I mean, this was the thing that I was sort of just screaming to myself uh, whilst watching this for the first time, which is like, where is the union? I know, I know. Like, I, I, was, I was just imagining, like, because obviously once the Belco experiment starts, a union rep couldn't do anything because it's too late. You've already got a bomb in your head and people flicking switches behind it. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, this, this is very much the too late moment, you know? But, like, what you want to do yes. is you want to yeah, yeah. unionize your workplace before the Belco experiment. Cause I was, I was just imagining like, like management sending out a memo where it's like, okay, everybody's starting on Tuesday. We're going to sign you up for, uh, for the mandatory surgery to put these trackers in the back of your head. No, we can't tell you what's inside <laughs> of them. We're just going to kind of do it to you. Uh, best of luck. Um, <laughs> and yeah. then like, I was just, I was just imagining the union response of like one, no, never, my God. Like the and then like channeling people's anger for further unionization efforts and then like just just even on a logistic level like like being like okay like you won't even tell us what's inside of these implants you know like 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 a union yeah. would have eaten this moment alive if it had existed if it maintained itself if it stayed militant if it stayed robust. Well, there is there's <laughs> and I I agree that by the time the shutters come down, it's already a little bit too late. But I, I was sort of thinking there's a there's a there's a very famous scene in the film which is where the executives get access to guns mm -hmm. and they round and they round everybody up in the in the lobby of the building and then uh, Barry Norris who is uh, played by Tony Goldwyn and is is excellent um, says he's going to make some tough choices and that's you know a great corporate euphemism. And he starts breaking people down by demographics. So people who are over 60, people who don't have kids, and he starts shooting them mm -hmm. in the back of the head. Um, and I'm sort of like, in a, in a militant and unionized workplace, when somebody starts talking about tough choices, it like it's going to be Barry Norris who's, who is against the wall. It isn't, it isn't going to be the most vulnerable because solidarity will be a kind of material <laughs> yeah. force that protect that protects people but if you if you are not in a union i would encourage you to watch the belco experiment <laughs> and that scene that is what your boss will happily do to you 
if it will protect the company and ergo protect and and, and literally like what is key to remember here is that the belco uh company is a non-profit they're the good guys Mm. they're they're a non-profit they're they're in support of the people they're helping americans find jobs overseas you know like like that yeah they're doing such that, good that, work their, their employees are bilingual and they get their own homes and and you get a car when you sign up with belco and like you know like they'll, they'll and like that chip in your head that's to protect you from the colombians because they're dangerous people and they might kidnap you you know like but it's really important to remember here that like non-profits function as part of this system like nonprofits exist to sustain themselves more often than not you know the longer a nonprofit exists the more powerful and large a nonprofit becomes the less it has anything to do with its stated purpose and goal and the more it has to do with maintaining itself as an entity and oftentimes what nonprofits do isn't very good to begin with right like the bubble uh-huh. of being a nonprofit is used to like whitewash and greenwash and pinkwash and all the other kinds of washing a bunch of terrible fucking shit. Museums are a great example of this. Many of the museums are nonprofit. Uh, you know, like this is true in, in not just the United States, but in other places as well. What is the function of museum? You know, it's not it's not to educate the community. It's not to have a place of learning and knowledge. It's their shrines to colonialism. You know, unless unless your museum is like the uh, uh, I don't I don't know the uh, uh, Kansas City Railroad Museum or something talking about local trains, and even that is still imbricated in colonialism and genocide. It can't escape. But like you know, like when you when you go to a museum and you see like a hall labeled like uh, uh, the Africa exhibit, know that that was not acquired through good friendly exchange. <laughs> yeah, it, like uh, the the NGO complex is enormously profitable. I mean, you think about the the Sacklers responsible for the opioid uh, yes. uh, kind of uh, crisis that decimates huge swathes of American communities. And they have their money in, working for them in so many kind of cultural institutions, art galleries, exhibitions, museums, universities. You know, uh, in the UK... Uh, a, a huge amount of the museums and galleries in London are, you know, it's like it's like the London National Gallery brought to you yes. by BAE Systems. Mm-hmm. And like, like, and and one, like, my God, like that, just like, oh, deep breath, deep breath. Um, a, a lot of educational material is it come for like for like high schools and elementary schools, um is is woven in to funding from like raytheon yeah you know yeah, yeah. like the worst evilest companies in the world are like dumping money into like these these like oh like ngos and positive things and like but like the function the function here is to manufacture consent yes completely completely and so like in in the world of belco like belco isn't like belco uh like loan and asset liquidation, you know, like Belco isn't like Belco industrial oil or like Belco, uh, uh, Elon Musk software solutions company, you know, like, like it's, it's supposed to be the good guys, but I think that that is, it's so important how that is laid bare by the text of the film and rant. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And it's so the final fight between Barry and Mike, uh, towards the end of the film is, 
a great example of this because it happens in the background of a Belco company promotional film mm-hmm. where they where they talk about, you know, we're, we're not here to make money. We're here to empower you. We're here to help you take your destiny in your own hands. And that's what that's what it says as Mike beats Barry to death with some office supplies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like that that's the whole point of this film, right? Is that it gives you this idea that within the veneer of the the apolitical non-profit veneer of the corporation, you still have the a kind of micro scale class war happens as soon as you make any kind of solidarity between individuals impossible. And I think the thing to highlight about that is that like, I, I, I would even kind of pivot that and say that like, it's not that this is kind of like a mini reenactment of class warfare writ large. This is just literally class warfare continuing. Like, if, like class war is often phrased as like, um, a, a, you know, like a minor strike. You know, yeah. like an old school miner strike where they've got like rifles and they're holding out like, oh, that, that's class war. But no, like like class war is literally when Amazon buys the local post office so that they can fuck up the union vote. Like that, yes, that is absolutely. class warfare. Class warfare is the fact that like if you live in the United States of America, you can have access to the world's greatest health care. If you have a shitload of money, if you do not have a shitload of money, there is literally no health care available for you. You just kind of die when you get sick you know, or things start falling off or going very wrong very quickly. And like that is class war it is it is levied unilaterally against a certain class for the benefit of another one. And like that is what we see going on inside of the Belco experiment, you know, like I mean, isn't it, it? Oh, go on. Isn't it telling? Isn't it telling that it directly what this film directly reinforces this point, actually, by having our two explicitly coded as working class blue collar guys be the be the first ones who die let us our two maintenance guys we are now entering what i will lovely call the michael rooker aka bud melks zone (laughs) aptly named bud melks like the most blue collar theoretically possible name i think (laughs) engineered by scientists in a lab to evoke blue collar sensations Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Bud, the first name. Um, so he's the head of maintenance. Um, also, Yondu in uh, James Gunn's later movies. I have a thing for directors who have like a a routine group of actors that they work with. But like, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. It's good. It's good to see familiar. It's good to see people lifting each other up. It's just generally positive. Anyway, um, so so Michael Rooker plays Bud, Bud Melks, who's just a maintenance worker. The you know first person to die, right? Like. Mm-hmm. so what kind of ha- like there are two scenes with him that i think are really fucking interesting and the first one is that like so these these steel shutters kind of shoot up out of the walls um on the outside of the building and trap everybody inside right um but it turns out that they're not steel right because uh you know um our, our protagonist uh mike goes and gets bud and he's like hey could you get like your blowtorch and see if you can't cut through this metal um, and then Bud's like, yeah, all right, sure. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> He's like the all-purpose maintenance man of of the Belco building. And like uh this is this isn't steel, it's some kind of like magic metal that doesn't get hot and can't be cut through and, and is impervious to any kind of damage, and the system that it's connected to is one hundred percent um 
you know, impervious to anything. And somehow the maintenance worker maybe didn't know about this beforehand. You know, he seems just as surprised as everybody else. So the guy who's got this intimate knowledge of the building just didn't know that this entire building-wide apparatus was there. And, like, I, I think, like, this this kind of speaks to... This, for me, was this movie's, like, great expression of alienation, right? Like, we often think about alienation as something that happens because labor is far away, right? Alienation also happens right next door, right like like who's building that new building why are they building it what's going on in there this all go listen to the episode on the black tower if you want and like an hour and a half long rant that's me talking about this but like we are literally alienated from our physical communities and part of that is like you know like at some point the maintenance team would have realized that the building is riddled with cameras in in everything you know, there are cameras in paintings, there are cameras in vents, there are cameras literally all over this building. And surely maintenance would have just kind of noticed that at some point. And like like those steel shutters that pop up, they're literally all over the building. It's a building-wide system that's connected into the entire building. At some point, maintenance would have been like, it's weird that there are all these steel shutter dispensers underneath every single window and doorway. What's up with that? Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so so there's that. And then this the second scene is like, so uh, the, the the shadowy agency behind the Belko experiment shuts off the HVAC to, to overheat people, to make them uncomfortable. You know, it's the standard, like, you go to a shopping mall and the temperature's never quite right because they're trying to get you to buy stuff or get through quicker or whatever. Um, and he And he goes down with his assistant to go fix it. And, like, he looks at the machine and he's like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong, but we're going to be able to fix it. And like, yeah, I, I think it's it's really compelling that out of every everybody is just trying to like shuffle pieces, but he's the one who's making a material and directed action to improve the survivability of everybody in the scenario. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. But because because it exists, this happens in an environment in which kind of class consciousness or class solidarity just isn't. It possible. just doesn't exist. Yeah. It's 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 Bud and his uh, assistant are the first ones to die, and they die at one another's hand, essentially. So it's 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 a kind of bleak moment because I think this film has sort of a really sort of bleak idea of what kind of resistance is possible. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, our two two you know coded as blue collar guys uh, are killed off really quickly. Um, you know the the only other sort of resistance possible is is in Sean Gunn's character who plays a cafeteria worker who's a kind of like stoner burnout mm-hmm. and he's like oh it's it's all in my it's all in it's all in the mind it's all in the so that's that's the only other kind of resistance right even mike who's like the good guy who's like let's all stick together we don't need to we can we can all get out of this or we can all survive for as long as possible he ends up being incorporated so your choices are you know uh, intra-class antagonisms or you you have the uh, it's not it's 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 all just ideology man uh of of sean gunn's character mm-hmm. uh basically every office needs a communist in it <laughs> i mean like, like this this movie is a psa for the importance of unions right because like one of the other things to know is that like belco is a company town Belco owns your apartment, Belco owns your car, Belco owns everything about your life, you know? And when, like, um, and again, like, I think I'm really glad you brought up Sean Gunn's character, right? 
Because um, right, right when everything starts going bad, um, a bunch of our characters run up to the roof of the building because they want to get a look at what's going on, maybe flag down one of these weird security guards that showed up. Yeah, yeah. And Sh- Sean Gunn's character's up there with some other people, and they're just getting high. Which, again, those yeah. three characters, Sean Gunn and his two friends, they're the only responsible characters in this movie because they're getting high on company time. Yeah, at time theft, baby. Yes, they, they, their, their day is laced with time theft, and it's fucking beautiful. Um, time theft is not a crime it is justice so like they're up there doing the lord's work getting blazed and stealing time from belko and like (laughs) one of the things that sean gunn's character says while everybody else is panicking sean's gun sean gunn's character i don't know why i keep saying sean's gun character the the uh, giant talking gun named sean who's on the roof that's getting high says says to the people who are panicking like hey calm down did you even read the contract you signed when you got a job here like these people can do all kinds of psychological testing on us this is just some kind of weird absolutely and it's like it's it's really telling that one that he was the only person to read it you know and two he's also giving it credence which i i found to be really really interesting and then there's this like there's this really like like that is is like what would you do if you went to a job that you absolutely had to take and then they handed you a gigantic stack of papers and was like, hey, you got to sign this stuff or we can't hire you. You know, like one, you don't you don't have time to read that. And even most of it's probably going to be an indecipherable legalese. You know, like this, this is the yeah. importance of a union because this is how they get you. Like this is how company towns happen, you know, like without yeah. without an organized working class fighting for their own interest you you become sean's gun (laughs) yeah it's it's uh you know it's again there's a long history of this henry ford had a had a whole sociology department working for him bad you know this this like this idea of like uh you know yes we'll give you x y and z we'll give you we'll give you 40 hour a week as your hours and we'll give you enough that you can you know uh survive on but it will be on our terms, and it's again without a militant and and uh, powerful union movement, there is no equality of interest. Like there just isn't. Um, you know, Barry Norris would happily describe Belco as a family, right? Oh <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's not. I I like to think of us as a family rather than as a workplace. Hey, hey, Mike, my, my door is always open. You can come into my office whenever you have a problem. Please do not talk to your other fellow coworkers. Uh, please talk to management or HR. Yeah, and if you are not a profitable uh, member of the family, I will shoot you in the back of the head if mm-hmm. a voice on a tannoy tells me to. Uh, so... I think that's a good that's a good point. That's a good point to pivot on. Um is there any is there anything you would like to say in closing? <laughs> well, real quick, should we talk about the ending? Yes, let us do that presently. Um How do you feel yeah. about ending? <laughs> uh I think it's I think it's super interesting. This idea that, you know, this group of self-described scientists who are experimenting on various workplace environments are are just trying to refine their techniques um and of course i'll reveal at the end that there are there are multiple sites hundreds worldwide of different sites uh where people have gone through similar experiments 
Um, I think the ending is is really good, actually. W- what about you? What are your thoughts? Um, so I I think the ending is really, 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 really interesting um, just because of the scale, right? And I think the scale here reflects the, the an inverse scale, which is the, the sheer decline in union efforts barring the last like two, maybe three years. You know, we were seeing like skyrocketing union unionization efforts, but it's still nowhere near the union rate that existed 60 years ago. You know, like, like the percent of people who are in unions versus the percent of people who are not, right? And the fact that the Belco experiment was able to be successfully conducted the entire world over, mm-hmm. I think really, for me, because that's, that's you know, like I'm, I'm a union man, I'm concerned about unionization and labor history and stuff like that. Like that's, for, that's what I was thinking about at the end there was like, like this, this legitimately is happening all over the world. Like, like Amazon exists all over the world and is like only comically re- only removed from Belco by the fact that James Gunn didn't architecture Amazon. Like, yeah, the ending for me was incredibly bleak. <laughs> yeah, this idea that actually we're we're in a worse like um. Who was it? Alain Badur said a few years ago, like we're we're basically in a in a pre nineteenth century position when it comes to yes. unionization and working class power. Absolutely. You know, it it has to be built again. But I actually think we're in a worst position, or or if not worse, but certainly much more challenging in new ways, precisely yes. because of the of of we're we're facing uh, a kind of capitalism which is no longer confined to certain. Uh, nationalisms but is very deliberately uh global and globalized and capital crosses borders far more easily than any working class people do mm-hmm. um so the, the belco can run their experiments worldwide um and and there are hundreds of them and there is something really sort of depressing about the fact that they've taken mike is our survivor you know the one who said explicitly he didn't want to kill people wasn't even going to entertain the possibility and he uh, uh, he murders a whole bunch of people right towards the end. Deservingly or not is a, is a whole another ethical question. But it's like that's that's the whole purpose of the experiment. And then those people are released. You know, they've all got outside their buildings, and they're released into a kind of corporate and, and globalized world. Yeah, they're, well, they're literally released into phase two. Yep, absolutely. Of, of the experiment, so we don't even know if these people are like we don't know if they're actually like free at the end. And when the camera pulls back. We see how devastated they are. There's people wandering office buildings with machine guns. Like these are the survivors, right? There, are, there are people who are like, like taking their own lives. People crying. Like, like Mike, Mike is doing relatively okay <laughs> compared to the rest of these people. Yep. Um, the the only thing I would want to bring up is this movie. I mean, based on the title alone, is is very clearly a nod to the Stanford Prison Experiment or the Milburn yes. Experiment. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So really quickly, uh, the Stanford Prison Experiment was a, an experiment conducted in Stanford uh, to try and replicate prison conditions. And basically what happened is they assigned a group of people to be ruthless prison guards and a group of other people to be completely powerless prisoners. Lo and behold, the ruthless prisoner, pr- the, ruthless, the, 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 the ruthless prison guards were ruthless and the prisoners mm-hmm. were victimized. The Milgram experiment was an experiment where a, a an officious looking man tells you to shock somebody. Um, these experiments are routinely brought up to, to be like, oh, hum- humanity is inherently evil. 
you know, this is innate to the human condition. We just love obeying uh, uh, powerful men, powerful white men in charge are just naturally able to command the wills of like their lesser working class underlings is kind of the takeaway that, that people try to give. But these two experiments are just riddled with holes. I think it was something like 66% of people that believed they were actually shocking someone didn't do it. You know, like, so the majority of people who actually thought that the experiment was real and not just like a gimmick or an actor or a game just didn't do it, you know, yeah. and let, let alone meta textual questions where it's like, okay, these are experiments, you know, we, we, and in society, we have like this propaganda where experiments equal safe and controlled and okay. You know, like uh, I could, I could rant about this all day, but I will, I will cease fire. <laughs> Well, I think I think this is this is the grounds of hope, right? This is the grounds of optimism, which is that, you know, uh, there's a great Mark Fisher quote which I think about all the time, which is like, "Who we are is in many ways determined by our social field." If you cr if you are put in an environment where you're told you have to obey, and you have to do as you are instructed, then you will almost, you know, as the Milgram experiment shows, you know, people. 66% is, is, is a lot, but that still means that there were quite a lot of people who did go along with it. Yeah. But it's like who we are is is shaped by our social field. And if we can reshape a, a social field towards solidarity and mutualism and altruism uh, and and yeah, care for one another, irregardless of our kind of economic productivity, then I think we can be optimistic. You know, we are not innately... Uh, I, I, I struggle to believe that we're innately anything, <laughs> no yeah i completely agree <laughs> so it's like uh the belco experiment only works because of the control they have over the environment in which it takes place over the fact that they can construct an idealized social field for people to be placed within and dial it up to 11 so like that's the grounds of of optimism for me that's 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 the why that's the reason that i think that we should feel a little more hopeful about things yeah, and, and I, I agree. Like the, the Belko experiment also, I think, points us towards something very important. And that's like, if the only people you have to rely on are your enemies, you can't win. Like yeah. in, in the world of Belko, if you had a problem, you could only turn to HR, which is the mouthpiece of the boss or the boss themselves. You know, like when in reality, you should turn horizontally to your fellow working peers, right? A union effort or many other things can accomplish these goals, right? But like unionization is like the historically powerful one. And like, yeah, that for me is kind of like if there's a ray of hope at the end of the Belko experiment, it's that we're not quite there yet. You know, like yeah. the, the Belko uh, experiment is is a is a cold look in the mirror. You know, it's it's realizing what's coming down the pipe but it's not here yet. So we have yep. some very important time. And what will save us will be class consciousness. Thanks for tuning in, creeps. And remember, stay spooky. Ha 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 